You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, you can open up to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 14 and 19 this morning. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 19. And as you're opening up there, uh, I'm going to read these verses uh, this morning for you. Uh, see what Paul has to say to us and what he had to say to Timothy. Paul says this, Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let us pray. Father God, once again, we're grateful for today, grateful for Your Word. I'm grateful for the opportunity and the privilege that You give to me to teach Your Word. And so, Holy Spirit, we come to you because you are the one that teaches us. And so we come asking for your grace and your blessings this morning, that you would show us your word, that you would teach us your word, that you'd use me just as an instrument in your hand, and that you would build all of us up. We give this to you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Oh, that was pretty good. They're very well balanced this morning in your, in your good mornings. Hope you're all doing well. It's really good to see you all. I pray that things are going good for you. A few years ago, uh, Amy and I had to drive down to Florida. We actually went to a wedding at Disney. Uh, we got invited to a, a wedding at Disneyland. And uh, we said, go to Disney, to a wedding without kids? Sure, we'll go. Right, we'll make it work. Uh, and so we, we drove down to Florida, right? Uh, and when we were driving down, everything was going great. Uh, the trip was going great. Everything was good except for the other cars on the road, right? Like, uh, it, that was bad. Everything was going good. And then we crossed the border into Georgia, right? So as soon as we crossed the border in Georgia, the skies were gray. I mean, like, gray. I mean, this is going to be fun, right? This is going to be fantastic. And then so we pulled off because they're like, should we drive through this? And like, no, we think we can get ahead of it. And these clouds are moving fast, right? And so we got about three miles into Georgia, and it downpoured. How many of you ever seen those big buckets at a water park that takes like three hours to fill, and then all of a sudden it dumps? That's what this rain was like. It was just like somebody like God's going, here's a bucket. Let me just dump it on you, right? And it was, you couldn't see, right? And now, thankfully, I've lived in Pennsylvania my whole life, so I knew how what to do because not only was it raining that bad, there was road construction. 
And so it was like three or four lanes that had to go down to two lanes. Well, I've lived in Pennsylvania my whole life, and so I know what road construction's like. And so I'm driving and could see maybe 15 feet in front of us on I-95, right? That's how bad it was raining. You got everything going all over the place. You couldn't see. And so what happened was this. I got up on the steering wheel. Right? You, ever, you know, when you drive, right, you lean forward so I could see better, hoping that I'm, like, staying on the road that I hope is in front of me because I can't see. So I lean forward, right, on both hands on the steering wheel. I'm focused out. I'm watching where I'm going. The wipers are going so fast, I think they're going to fly off the car. Everybody around me is still doing, like, 145 miles an hour because they don't care, right? I care, right? And so I'm laser-focused on this road, right? Thankfully, it only lasted about 10 minutes, right? And we were able to drive through blue skies, and everything was good, except for the people still driving on the road, but everything else was good. And so here's my question. When I'm driving in that rain, and maybe you've been there, how can I be that focused, driving like that, to the point where my back and my neck all tenses up because I'm so focused? How do you get that focused in on something? Well, you have to have the right motivation, right? Motivation helps your focus, right? When, I'm, when that rain started, my motivation was this. I do not want to die in Georgia in a car accident, right? That's my motivation, good motivation to have, right? Nobody else on I-95 had that motivation, but I had that motivation. I'm not going to die in a car accident on I-95 in a rainstorm. And so that motivation increased my focus. It helped me to focus in on things. Last week, we saw that Paul was telling Timothy, he was trying to strengthen Timothy with all the things that Timothy had going on in his life. Paul was trying to get Timothy back in focus. Remember that. Paul goes, Timothy, you need to get back in focus. You're a little out of focus because Timothy was overwhelmed. And so Paul's trying to get him back on tro- uh, track getting him to be focused, because as we talked about last week, when you're focused, that brings strength, not struggles. And so Paul told Timothy last week to focus in on your Savior, to focus in on your purpose, and focus in on your future. And Paul's trying to get him to focus in on that, but focusing is really, really hard in your life, isn't it? Here's here's an example. For the next 30 seconds, focus on nothing but this message. Going by the statistics, you will not be able to do that, right? Focusing is very, very hard and difficult. But what helps our focus is when we have the right motivation. Because motivation feeds focus. And you have to realize that. When we have the right motivation in our life in a given situation, it enables us to focus in on something longer and better. And so this morning we got to check our motivation. So I have two points for you. And the first one is this. Approved workmen. We're starting in verse 15, right? Paul says this in verse 15. He says, do your best. Now remember, he's talking to Timothy. He goes, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now when it comes to 2 Timothy, This is one of the most popular or well-known verses in this whole letter. And some of you may know it or have it in your Bibles translated to study, to show yourself approved. And the word study, it fits, but it's not the best translation. But, you know, 
it, it works. But in this verse, Paul lays out a whole lot. And in it came one question to my mind. I read that verse and I asked myself, who do you want to please in life? Whose approval do you live for? That was the question that I was asking myself. That as I read verse 15, when who do I live for? Whose approval am I trying to get? So let me ask you, who do you want to please in and with your life? Whose approval do you live for? That's a hard question. And you might be going, well, where in the world did you get those questions from that verse? Well, let me show you. Remember, Paul is on death row, writing to Timothy. And Paul is trying to get everything across to Timothy. Remember, these are Paul's last words. So he's trying to get everything out that he, need, he feels like he needs to get out to Timothy. And he's trying to get Timothy to really grab hold of the weight behind what Paul is saying to him. And so in the hopes of strengthening Timothy, Paul goes, Timothy, you need to do your best. And I need you to pause there. Do your best. And all week long, some of you, this will make no sense. All week long, I've had the song from the Karate Kid in my mind. You're the best around. Some of you have no idea what that song is. Others of you do, and now it's stuck in your mind. So congratulations, you're the best around, right? And so Paul goes to Timothy, you need to do your best. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Do your best. What that means is this. The phrase there means this. To be diligent. Better yet, make a maximum effort. Some of you are going to make a maximum effort today to eat as much food as you possibly can. Some of you are going to make a maximum effort to not eat as much as you can, right? There's going to be both parties, right? I'm going to try to eat as much as I can. I'm going to try to eat as little as I can. Some of you are going to make a maximum effort to stay away from everything that deals with a Super Bowl today, right? right? That's how my dad is. He hates Super Bowl Sunday because he puts Fox on like at noon and the football game is still it's on all day long, right? Everybody makes a maximum effort at different things in their lives. We understand what it means to make a maximum effort because there's been times in your life where you've done just enough. That's called Monday at work, right? You do just enough to get through Monday. But then there's other times things have come in your life. You've put everything you have into it. You made a maximum effort. We know the difference. Paul goes, Timothy, you need to put a maximum effort into something. You need to do your best. Okay, but for what? To what? What am I to give my best to, Paul? Well, Paul goes, give yourself, well, give your best to present yourself to God. And that phrase really stood out to me this week. I, I wrestled with it. How do we present ourselves to God? I thought Jesus does that. And I just went back and forth on it and all these things. And in my study, I came across that what it's really saying there is to stand alongside of. To present yourself to God means to stand alongside of God. To come alongside of God. That you want to come and stand next to God. What a picture that Paul gives to Timothy while he's sitting on death row. Timothy, do your absolute best 
to come alongside of God, stand with God. And so then I thought, do I? Do I give my best to come alongside of God, to stand with God? And so I'm going to ask you, do you do your best to come alongside of God? Do we actually want to come alongside of God and stand next to God? Now, Paul's not done in this verse. I'm going to take every little section, give you a working understanding of it, and then we're going to put it all together. So stay with me for a minute. But do we even want to come next to God, come alongside of him? Because Paul goes on to say, you know, you need to come present yourself to God as an, as an approved workman. Well, what is a workman? Well, it's what it is. It's a workman. It's a worker. It's a laborer. It's somebody who is working hard. Two weeks ago, we saw that we are a farmer, and a farmer is a hard worker. Same concept. A workman is somebody who labors. They're, they're a worker working hard at whatever the task may be. But you need to be not just a workman, an approved workman. That word approved means to be proved worthy after testing. For example, how many of you have a driver's license? All right, that's good. Some of you didn't raise your hands, so don't be driving, okay? How did you get your driver's license? You had to take a test, right? I was going to ask if anybody got in an accident on their test, but we don't have to go that way. It just popped in my head, hopefully. Uh, but in order to get your driver's license, you have to take a test. And when you take the test and you pass the test, you prove that you are worthy, right? Like the, it's the same concept, that you're proved worthy after testing, right? Same concept here. And so Paul goes, Timothy, you need to do your very best to present yourself to God as an approved workman. That you're proved. That we don't have to be ashamed, as Paul goes on. Because we, we want to be approved, not ashamed. But be an approved workman, not an ashamed workman. Why would a workman be ashamed? Well, his work wasn't good. He didn't finish the task. He didn't start the task. He didn't do what he was called to do, tasked to do. In all the jobs that I have had, I have never wanted to be ashamed of the job that I did. I've never wanted to be ashamed of it. I can be wrong. I have been wrong. I'm talking about being ashamed of the work that I did. Being ashamed that I didn't put enough time or effort into a, a, a project. I worked at Wegmans for five and a half years. I never called off one single day in five and a half years. I didn't want to be ashamed of a lack of effort or a lack of trying. I'd be wrong. I am wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But I didn't want to be ashamed. And so Paul goes, you need to present yourself as an approved workman, somebody who's not ashamed. Well, why would we be ashamed? He goes, so they can handle the word of God correctly. Because you need to be a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. And the word of truth is the scriptures. That phrase, correctly handles, it means to cut a straight line, actually. Some of you in the church, I know you do this, you do crafts, right? And so when you're cutting something and you're going to sew them together, right, you want a straight line, right? You don't want it going this way because that makes it harder, right? How many of you have ever seen a farmer plowing their fields? How do they plow their fields? In straight lines, right? That's what this, line, this word means, correctly handles. It's to 
cut a straight line, to plow a straight line. Paul uses it because he works with leather. Because when Timothy, when I'm sewing two things together, I want it a straight line. I want it proper. Paul goes, you want to be able to rightly understand and use or to teach the word of God. Paul goes, Timothy, you do not want to be ashamed because you cannot use the word of God in the right manner, in the right way. And so now, what does this all mean? We have an idea of what each part of the verse means. But let's bring it together. Paul goes, Timothy, in light of your overwhelm, in light of your struggling, in light of you wading through the hardships and the difficulties that are in your life right now, Timothy, you need to do your very best, give maximum effort to be a workman who rightly handles the word of God so that you can be approved and present yourself to the Lord. Timothy, Paul goes, your works are going to be judged. He talks about this in Romans. Your works are going to be judged. And I think we forget about that as Christians. We think because I'm in Christ, I'm going to heaven, God's not going to judge me. Actually, he is. He's not going to judge you to determine if you're getting into heaven or not because that's all signed, sealed, and delivered in Christ. But scripture points to the fact that Christians are going to have their works judged before God so that we are rewarded or not rewarded in heaven. We're still in heaven because of Jesus. But we're still going to be judged by our works. And so Paul goes, Timothy, you need to do your very, very best so you can be a workman approved by God and you don't have to be ashamed. Timothy, who are you living for? Because that's what Paul says in short. He goes, Timothy, give your very best to live for and please the Lord. Not man. That's our goal. That should be your motivation. See, how you focus in and live for Christ daily is to have the motivation that you want to please God in and with everything and not man. That's the motivation. You see, as much as I love you all and pray for you all, and think about you all, and worry about all of you, which I do all the time, you could ask my wife. The reason I am a pastor is not because I love all of you, and worry about you, and think about you, and stress about you. The reason I am a pastor is because that is what God has called me to be, and I want to please God. That's my motivation. I want to please God. See, when we come to the scriptures, I work very hard at this. Most weeks, 10 to 12 hours go into a sermon before I preached it. This week, it's 12 to 15 hours. So what you're getting right now, I've already spent 12 to 15 hours on. And you go, man, you probably needed to spend more time. I would love to. I'd love to, if I had the time. Work very hard, because I want to please God in what I teach to you. I want to give my best effort to pleasing God. That's my motivation. I don't want to fail God. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to misuse the word of God because I want to please him. That is why, and I will, I will tell you what the Bible says on every and any topic, and if it offends you, then it offends you. You need to take that up with God. But I want to please him. 
I want to honor Him. I want to live for Him. And that needs to be your motivation. Because that motivation of wanting to live for and please God will feed your focus daily and help you to stay focused in on living for Jesus. Every day you wake up, what do I do? How do I do it? How do I go through this? How do I do this at work? Ready? To please Jesus. To please Jesus. So you do. But if you live to please others, then you know what happens to your focus? It gets starved. And you lose sight of Jesus. Are you giving your best to Jesus and for him? Now, I want you to get this. Paul is not calling Timothy or you or me out so that we could sit back and feel guilty and shame. Because we, pastor goes, you need to be living for Jesus. And we sit there going, I'm not living for Jesus. I'm not giving my best. I know that. And so, hopefully, and to a degree, it's right that we're convicted by that. But Paul's not calling us out on this to keep guilt upon guilt and shame upon shame upon us because that never really motivates us to do anything. I think what Paul is doing here is Paul knows something that Timothy and perhaps you struggle with. And what that is is this. As you give Jesus your very best, it enables you to be strengthened in no matter what is going on in your life. Did you get that? If you give Jesus your very best every day in every situation, by you giving Jesus your very best, it enables you, it strengthens you in every situation that you go through. And so I don't think Paul is call, you know, calling us out and Paul, piling guilt on us for our failings, but motivating us to live for Jesus, to give him our best, so that in that Jesus is glorified, and we're strengthened. But how? How do we give Jesus our best and to live to please him? How do we do it? Well, Thursday we had a plumber here. And so they were working back there. And I was walking around here working on this sermon. And I'll be honest with you. I've struggled on this. These verses I've literally spent 10 hours on. And I have struggled, and I have worked, and I have wrestled. I actually rewrote this part of the sermon. And I don't do that often. How do we give God our best? How do we live for Him? Well, in your sermon notes, I have something called stepping stones. But I did the bulletins before I rewrote the sermon. I'll give you the stepping stones, but there's something that we have to talk about first, all right? And here's where we're going to go with this. We need to see the opposite of what Paul has just talked about. Paul has just talked to us in verse 15 that we need to give our very best to present ourselves to God as an approved workman who correctly handles the word of truth. Paul goes, that's what you need to give yourself to. Well, you know what Paul does? 
he actually shows us the exact opposite of what he calls us to. How many of you learn by that? Like you learn by not like, okay, that's not what I'm supposed to do, right? That Paul gives that to us. He literally shows us the exact opposite of what he calls us so that we can learn by somebody else's mistakes. And he brings them up in verses 16 to 18. Paul says this. He goes, Timothy, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. He says their teaching will spread like gangrene. He goes, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. And so Paul goes, he literally gives us the exact opposite of what he's calling us to in verse 15. He goes, Timothy, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And this is an example of what you're not supposed to be doing. And what is the example? Well, let's find out. Paul brought up Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul goes, I gave Hymenaeus over to Satan. And now in 2 Timothy, we have a little bit more background. And the background is Hymenaeus and Philetus. If you ever thought your name was bad, it could be Philetus, right? He goes, they've wandered from the truth. Stop right there. He goes, they wandered from the truth. What does that mean? Well, what does Paul tell them in verse 15? He goes, do your best to stand alongside of God as one who correctly handles the word of truth. And then Paul goes, but these two guys, they've wandered away from it. He goes, they've wandered away from the truth. What does that tell us? It tells us at one point, Hymenaeus and Philetus were in the church. At one point, Hymenaeus and Philetus said they loved Jesus. At one point, Hymenaeus, Philetus, maybe they were a teacher in the church. Don't know. Maybe they're singing songs to Jesus. Maybe they're standing on the street corner proclaiming Jesus. We don't know exactly what they're doing, but we know that they were part of the church. And what does Paul say? They've wandered away from the truth. They've left the truth. They've gone the opposite way that they should be. They're gone. They left. They started out well, but they're not finishing well. And so you go, okay, so what happened? Because this is how my mind thinks. Somebody wanders away from the truth. I go, how does it happen? What took place? Well, I think Paul kind of tells us. If you look in verse 14, I don't have it on the screen, but Paul says this. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. I think what started everything was this. Hymenaeus, Philetus, they started arguing, quarreling over words. Maybe with each other, maybe with other people. Because Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to warn the church before God against quarreling about words. He goes, it's no value. Now what is Paul talking about here? Paul is talking about majoring on minor things. You know what that phrase means, right? Majoring on minor things. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about using the things of this world to redefine and shape Scripture or to ex- explain Scriptures. This is people fighting, literally having a war of words over things that in the end do not matter. Because you, 
These people are quarreling about stuff that don't matter. He's not talking about them fighting over the deity of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about them arguing over that salvation is by faith alone and, and by grace alone and Christ alone. He goes, they're not quarreling about major things. He goes, they're quarreling about secondary things that really have no value. He goes, that's what they're fighting about. They're fighting over where Scripture leaves a gray area. And I think what happened is that these men started the quarrel, the fight over words and issues like that. And because of that, it went on to the next step. And what's the next step? Verse 16. Paul goes, avoid godless chatter. What is godless chatter? It's empty words, hollow words, words that have no life, no scriptural basis, nothing with God, nothing for God, not honoring God. He goes, it's godless chatter. And I think they got into that. Well, how do I know that? Well, because in verse 16, it says, avoid godless chatter. Why? Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The more you give yourself to godless chatter, the more you give yourself to ungodly chatter, guess what happens? Paul goes, you become more ungodly yourself. And so they started quarreling over secondary issues. And then they got more involved in godless chatter. And then it got to the point in verse 16, 17, 18, Paul goes, now they're teaching something that is false. They say the resurrection has already taken place. Now, we don't fully know what they're talking about with that. It could have been that they were saying the resurrection of Jesus Christ already took place, that the church was already resurrected. They could be that they were saying that the resurrection was only spiritual and not a physical one. We don't fully know what it is, but what we do know is they were teaching something about the resurrection that was not right. They were not handling the word of God correctly. And so this, they went down a slippery slope that started with arguing over secondary issues and ended up teaching something that was completely false. It was a slippery slope. You see, when you and I do not give God our best, when we do not live to please him, when we do not try to be a workman who is approved and is not ashamed, when we do not handle the word of God correctly and properly, we open ourselves up to go down this slippery slope that these two men did. Now here's why this is important. At this point, you're like, okay, why is it important? Well, you go back to verse 14. Paul goes, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. And listen, it only ruins those who listen. Paul goes, this quarreling is ruining those that are listening to it. That word ruin, catastrophe is the word. Catastrophe. It tears people down. This arguing can damn a person's soul for eternity. Did you know that? It can damn a person's soul for eternity. Paul goes, if you're fighting over something like that, and someone who does not know the Lord or is young in the faith hears this, it can crush their walk. It can direct them away from Jesus. Look at what Paul says in the event of verse 18. Because they say the resurrection has already taken place. And listen, and they destroy what? The faith of some. Is literally destroying the faith of some. Their teaching, their actions, their words are destroying the faith of some people. 
there have been times where I have watched people talk and argue about things when it comes to the Bible that are secondary, and I thought, I'm so glad I already know Jesus. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't want nothing to do with the God that they say they believe in. Because they're arguing over secondary things. I've had people talk to me and tell me that. When I worked at Wawa, it was going way back. I worked with two guys almost every night. And I was young in my faith. I knew nothing. I just kept trying to tell them Jesus. They go, but the way people in the church argue and fight, I don't want to be a part of that. And here we are, we're arguing and fighting. There are people that will argue and fight over when Jesus is coming back to the point where it shows to other people that don't know Jesus, that are young in the faith, I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with that Jesus. If you're going to argue and fight like that over that, then I want nothing to do with it. Now, once again, this is a secondary issue. If you come to me and tell me, you know, Jesus isn't God, then guess what? Using the words of Paul, we're going to quarrel about that because that's the main thing. But if God wanted us to know when Jesus was coming back, he would tell us that. He'd make it clear. But we'll argue and fight over secondary issues, and it will ruin and destroy the faith of other people and push them away from Jesus. That's what Hymenaeus and Philetus did. That's why it's so important. You see, the results of not giving our best to Jesus and pleasing Him is we'll end up putting ourselves in a position where we're going to argue and fight and we could destroy the faith of somebody else. So how do we give God our best daily? It's not really hard. Have you ever read a quote, you went in and it passing, and you're like, ah, I don't want anything to do with that, and then like two days later, that quote pops up on your head, and you're like, hey, I should have paid more attention to it. Have you ever been there, or is that just me? That happened this week. I came across something, I just read, you ever read the headlines and you never read anything else? That was me, right? And all I saw, and I can't even remember the quote, and the, and the quote was this. I don't know who it was, where it was, I just remember it was in red letters. That's all I remember, right? Red letters on my computer. And it said... Something to the, the effect of this. Living for God daily is mostly about keeping the basic things daily. Okay, and I just ignored that. And then on Sunday morning going, no, I wish I didn't ignore that three days ago. It would have been a lot easier. So how do we live for God daily? Well, I'm going to lay four things at your feet right now. Four things. Now, when I say I'm going to lay things at your feet, I mean I'm just going to lay them there. We're not going to fully unpack them. You want to know why? You're all old enough to comprehend these concepts, okay? All right? I almost made an eagle's comment, Bob, but I didn't, okay? You can comprehend these four things. So how do you give God your very best every day, okay? Stepping stone number one, rejoice. Verse 19, Paul says, nevertheless, what does nevertheless mean? In light of, in spite of, he just goes, Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
They're destroying the faith of some people because they're just wandered away from God. Nevertheless, in light of them doing that, nevertheless, Paul goes, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And so we're going to pause right there, just really quickly. You and I can rejoice. One of the hard things of being a pastor is watching people wander away from the truth of God, and I've watched it, I've lived it. I've watched people wander away from the truth of God, and it is one of, if not one, the most painful thing that I have gone through as a pastor. It is hard to see and watch and hear stories of people going, I love Jesus, and I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and all of a sudden going, eh, don't really care. But in that, I can rejoice because God knows those that are his. That God is not going to miss anybody. That God is going to have his people. And I can rejoice because of that. Because God is sovereign and he knows all of that. I can rejoice in it. I don't have to let it like destroy my faith because others are walking away from the faith. Because I know God. But then Paul goes on to say, the second part of this inscription is true as well. He goes, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I wish I had time to unpack that. You see the word must? If you confess Jesus as Lord, you must turn away from wickedness. If you're not turning away from wickedness, we have a problem. Must. Paul goes, I can rejoice even in the light of all this happening, because God knows those that are his and those that are his are going to turn away from that wickedness and not do it. He goes, I can rejoice in it. But there's another stepping stone. And what that is, is this, avoid. Verse 16, he goes, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Avoid. You rejoice daily. And you avoid godless chatter every day. How many of you ever have godless chatter on a daily basis? Twitter, Facebook, the news, work, radio. I guess godless chatter all over the place. Paul goes, avoid it. You ever avoid it? No. We got to jump right in there, don't we? We have to jump right into that godless chatter, give our point of view, our opinions, our views, and make sure everybody knows where we stand and that they should be listening to us, even though it's godless chatter. Paul goes, avoid it. What does avoid mean? It means a teenager seeing a full can of garbage. What happens when a teenager sees garbage overflowing a garbage can? Eh, and walks away. You avoid it. That's what happens. Paul goes, you need to avoid this. Somebody makes a comment on Facebook. Guess what? Avoid it. Somebody makes a comment on Twitter. Guess what? Avoid it. It's godless chatter. We're literally called by the Apostle Paul to avoid it. Because the more we indulge in it, what happens? It will become more and more ungodly. You have to avoid it. So every day there's godless chatter. You need to avoid it. Literally what Paul is saying. But there's another stepping stone. Then you have to warn them. 
to them as a church, the people in your, your sphere of influence. Second part of verse 14, Paul says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Solemnly warn them. Solemnly command them. Is what Paul says there. To what? Against quarreling. What we're supposed to do. We're supposed to warn people. We need to tell people like, hey, God doesn't want us fighting over this. Once again, this is secondary issues. We're not talking like the deity of Christ or anything. This is secondary issues. God doesn't want us fighting over this. But what do we do? We give maximum effort to godless chatter and secondary issues. Paul goes, no, no. Don't do that. Why? Because it ruins those who hear it. So what are we supposed to do? We rejoice. We're to avoid. We're to warn people every day. These are basic things. And then I'm like, you know when I put this together on the exercise bike at physical therapy? I have to do work at physical therapy with my mind, right? And I'm going, how in the world? Like, I don't get this. It's all confused. Like, my Polishness came out in full force this week. We come to the first part of verse 14. And like, this, this is amazing. Paul goes, keep reminding them of these things. Everything I studied this week, it all started with verse 14. I'm ending with verse 14. I don't know why. But I think I do. Paul goes, do your very best. Present, give your maximum effort. To what? Keep reminding them of these things. Well, who's the them? It's the church. It's the people in your sphere. Okay? Of what things? The things that Paul just talked about, that we talked about last week. Instead of being in godless chatter, instead of quarreling over secondary issues, Paul goes, focus in on, keep reminding them, major on this. And what is the de this? Who Jesus is. Remember what we talked about last week? Focus in on Jesus. As he says in verse 8, that Jesus Christ raised from the dead the descendant of David, that we need to major in on and focus in on that Jesus is God, that he is man, that he is Jesus, that he is God that saves, that he is risen from the dead. Paul goes, Timothy, you need to major in on this. You need to focus on this. You need to give your best effort of telling people about who Jesus is, not the secondary issues. Because what is more important? Them knowing when Jesus is coming back or who Jesus is. It's who Jesus is. Because when they know who Jesus is, they're getting eternal life and they're coming closer to Jesus. They're not getting destroyed. He goes, you need to major on telling them who Jesus is. You need to major on your purpose. And what did we see last week that our purpose is? That we endure everything so that the lost can come to know Jesus. That the purpose of your life and my life in Christ is to tell people about Jesus. He goes, you need to major on this. 
You need to major on your future. That we get to live with Christ and that we get to reign with Christ. And that God is faithful. He goes, Timothy, major in on these things. Focus in on it. So if you want to live every day to please God, what do you do? You avoid the godless chatter. You don't fight over the secondary issues. And you give your maximum effort of telling people who Jesus is and their need of a Savior. You do that every day. Guess what? At the end of the day, I'm pleasing God. I'm living for God. I'm majoring on the major instead of majoring on the minor. Because here's what happens. When we major on this, we live for Christ. We are doing our very best to make much of him and who he is. But when we major on secondary issues, when we major on godless chatter, we are trying to make much of us. We're trying to get people to know us and not Jesus. We're trying to get people to listen to us, not Jesus. We're trying to get people to follow us, not Jesus. We're trying to get people to know what we say more than what Jesus says. We make it about us and our view and our opinion instead of Jesus. Our motivation should always be to please Jesus and to make him known, not ourselves. And when that is our motivation, our focus will always be in line. So who are you living for? Who are you trying to please? Whose approval do you want? The approval of man? Mankind? Or of God? There was a young man who was learning the violin. And he was really good. And his instructor was older. And he got invited after a couple of years to play at this very well-known concert. And so he went and he played. And after every song, the crowd would applaud. But you could see on his face that he wasn't, he wasn't taking the applause. He was kind of worried. He's nervous. And then when everything was got done, everybody stood up and they're applauding for him, congratulating him. And the man stood there, just looking out at the crowd, and he was just nervous. You could see on his face that he was nervous until he looked up in the balcony and he saw his instructor. His instructor stood up, got a big smile on his face, started clapping for the young man. And it was at that point that you could see the relief in the young man's face. His worry turned into happiness and joy. Because in light of all those people clapping and cheering for him, he didn't care if they were clapping and cheering for him because he wanted to please an instructor in the balcony. Whose applause do we want? Because if we want the applause of Jesus, we want to please Jesus, then we give our maximum effort for him and we major on the major and minor on the minor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, I pray that you would forgive us 
for the times that we enter into godless chatter. I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we enter into quarreling over words that have no value, that are secondary. I pray that you would forgive us of the times where we major on the minor things in our lives and our focus is not on pleasing you, living for you, but in light that we are trying to please ourselves, that we are trying to please others, that they would know us and hear us instead of you. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us for that, but help us to major on the major thing, telling people who you are. Pray that you'd work in and through us in that work. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.